0: you <laughs> When I was 19 years old, I went to Russia. I was embarking on this round-the-world trip to travel by train as far as I could. And I encountered a policeman, actually two policemen. What happened was that it was my mum's friend's daughter's 30th and we'd gone out with a few of her friends in Moscow. I had lots to drink. I remember I was on a really tight budget and there were about 20 different vodkas on the menu in this restaurant and I ordered the cheapest, flavoring kind of vodkas vodka, but actually there are some really disgusting types of vodka and the one that I'd ordered was a horseradish vodka, which, <laughs> <laughs> when you think vodka can't get any worse, um, So I had a few of those and then we were out and we were walking and her friends asked me if I'd seen the Kremlin and Red Square. I'd never been to Red Square before and I said no. And they were like, oh, you must, you must come, must come immediately and kind of dragged me over to the other side of the road and then into the sort of threshold of the Red Square where you're not actually allowed to drink. But these guys, they were really raucous and they had beer cans in their hands and whiskey in their pockets so they got stopped pretty much immediately by the patrolmen in Red Square as did I and you have to carry ID on you at all times when you're out and about in Russia I hadn't taken my passport with me, what happened is I've got a Russian passport and a British passport and I'd Kept my British passport in my little security belt. My Russian passport had been in my handbag, which I'd left at the flat. So I had one passport. The policeman kind of flicked through it and saw that I didn't have a Russian stamp or a Russian visa or anything, and said, "You know, how have you gotten into this country? What are you doing here? Where's your stamp?" And this was in Russian, and I tried to sort of stumble over my words. I tried to say, no, I do have a Russian passport. I'm, I'm Russian. I just left it at the flat. And they said, why should we believe you? And I, and I started saying, well, look at me. I mean, I can speak some Russian. My name is Ksenia. Like, what more evidence do you need? they were like that's ridiculous you know like this isn't good enough you need to come with us or there's something needs to be done like very sort of like ambiguous threatening behavior not really sort of saying what the punishment would be the guys that they'd Stopped. who were with me were kind of getting very fidgety and I guess kind of knowing what was coming. And so I tried to sort of stop this all from happening and thinking I could just get through this just by being a sort of moral, honest person. And I just said, look, I've got all of the proof. It's at the flat. My friend can bring it. Look, if you want to take me, take me. And then everyone burst into laughter because I'd said something in Russian which kind of meant <laughs> take me and... Um, take me in a sort of suggestive, sexual way. (laughs) Which helped to sort of lighten the situation. But then I realised that the policemen had kind of shuffled off and taken the guys with them, and I noticed one of the guys hand over a cigarette packet stuffed with money. And then one of the guys disappeared, but the other one came back with us. And whenever I asked where... other guy had gone. No one really knew as if he'd gone to the station or what. And it was almost as if my presence there had made it more serious than it should have been. Since then, my Russian has improved. (laughs) So... The reason I went travelling was because I'd inherited this money from my dad. He'd died, he was killed in an accident. He was having flying lessons um, in 2005. The reason he was having flying lessons was because he'd set up his own business. He'd divorced my mum about two or three years previously. Had a new girlfriend and he was doing really well. And decided to go for flying lessons because he was always a really big fan of biggles. And it was just a childhood ambition, something he'd always wanted to do. One day on a Saturday in October, I remember it was the first day of half term. I was in lower sixth form and me and my friend Hannah went to Camden to go shopping and... I remember actually, really vividly, the train journey to Camden that day. We got the train from Sutton to Victoria which passes past Battersea Power Station. And I remember looking at it and there was building work going on that wasn't related to it, it was ten years ago, but he, I remember telling to my friend a fact that my dad had told me it, which is that a third of London is constantly in flux in terms of being rebuilt. We got to Camden and were kind of looking around and I had a little Nokia phone that never really used but it's, it, my, I got a phone call from my mum while we were in the market and she was kind of sobbing, um, very difficult to understand what she was saying but saying that I needed to come home immediately. I didn't really understand what had happened, she gets quite dramatic sometimes and um she kind of has these heart complaints but I mean her heart's fine but I thought something had happened and and she couldn't really speak put my brother on the phone and my brother said he's he's older than me he's five years older than me and he said you need to come home and I was like what's going on is mum okay and he'd made up a story actually on the spot and said that mum needed to go to hospital and that I needed to come home immediately and then I kind of was saying, well, have you called an ambulance? Where are they? Are they coming? And he's, he wouldn't answer my questions, which was really frustrating. And he just said, come home, just come home. So I turned around and Hannah came with me and we went back on the train and she carried on on the train to go a few more stops to where she lived. And I... I remember walking down the hill of the road where I lived and getting to the front door and my mum opened the door and she'd been crying and I still had no idea what was going on. I Actually, I remember trying to call my dad a lot while I was um, in the market because he always used to be the person who would just come and kind of even though he and my mum had divorced, she like forgot her passport once when she went to the airport, and he just got in the car and drove it to her straight away. And I was thinking if the ambulance isn't coming, he can just drive her there, and he wasn't picking up his phone. And on the train on the way back, I um I tried calling my grandmother, because I remember he'd said he might be going to visit her that weekend. And so I called her and I said, oh, Dad's not picking up his phone, something's happened to my mum, do you know where he is? And She just said, oh, you should just go home. If your mum needs you, you should go home. And yeah, and I got home and then my mum was a state and we were in the hallway and then I walked into the living room and that's when I saw the two policemen. When I saw them, I I realised, and um, I remember just saying, "My dad." And they said, "You should sit down." And 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 I sat down, and I just kind of I didn't. I, it was kind of shock waves, just sort of washing over me at that point. And they said, "This morning, your dad was having his flying lesson in Biggin Hill, and there was an accident, and the plane came down, and." he died and um and that was just really um well it was just numbing completely numbing um i hadn't expected it and i i just kind of went into shock i guess i couldn't really i just didn't want to sit still i couldn't cry I didn't know what to do with myself and my mom was just wailing and wailing and and the police kind of didn't really know what to do with us and so I just said can I go outside um I can't be in here right now and and so I went outside and the policeman followed me I think they thought I was going to like try and throw myself in front of a car or something and and I just went to the doorstep and the policeman came behind me and he's and he said you'll be alright and I just... He just hugged him. <laughs> um, I don't think he was expecting that. <laughs> I ended up getting him in his van and going to my dad's partner's house and spending the day with her, which... I just found it too difficult to be around my mum and too many sort of contradictions of her feelings that I couldn't kind of get my head around. And and then the rest of the family came that day. I can remember sitting in my kitchen in our family home with my grand my grandmother, my dad's mum and um talking about the future and what we were going to do next. And I I still don't feel like I'd I like I went I I went into this sort of survival mode for well, so I I just said I I can't. I don't know what I'm going to do. But all I know that I can do is to try and make him proud, and that's sort of a philosophy that I lived by for several years after his death. I went back to school a few days after the half term. Did my AS levels. Did my A levels. Went to university. I did an art foundation course in Cardiff. I just go travelling for a bit, um, and then went to Brighton. Then did a postgrad course, and which I only finished last year. So. I I kind of have just been on this, um, sort of, this steady wheel of progress. I've been just trying to keep busy, keep doing things, keep making him proud. And it's been, it's been really, it's just added an extra layer of stress onto everything that I've done. Because I'm trying to impress or kind of live up to the expectations of someone who... I I can't I don't know what they want I don't know what they expect from me and it's it might seem surprising but it was only at the beginning of this year that I realized that he only would have wanted me to be happy <laughs> which, which is such an obvious thing but it it for so long I was thinking uh, things i was I do- so i I did did a year of interior architecture i i kind of decided i wanted to be an architect but i wasn't quite i couldn't i couldn't be an architect and so i thought i'll do interior architecture that's a proper vocational sort of degree that's sounds respectable and dad was a town planner so decisions as big as that and that didn't last i ended up changing courses and studying craft um from decisions like like the type of boyfriends I would have or, yeah, the type of jobs I would go for. they were always sort of fed by this idea of what my dad would want, which I couldn't confirm, and it was becoming more of a distant memory, which became so difficult to manage because I was forgetting him and what he what he liked, and it meant that my decisions were being informed by something that was just becoming more transient, more, um, just an image of a man that was fading. What I was left with then was, and this turning point kind of actually came about through counselling, because in the nine years that he'd gone I never had consistent counselling which now I see as pretty shocking if, if I saw a 16 year old lose a parent it would kind of be the first thing I'd prescribe and the doctor did suggest it but mum didn't want that and I think it might be sort of a Russian maybe an Eastern European sort of counselling talking about feelings it wasn't I don't know it, it wasn't something that she approved of This was the first year where I decided to actually talk to someone on a regular basis about it because I felt like 10 years is a big deal. And I was getting wrapped up in these feelings of guilt because I felt like I wasn't meeting his expectations. What came about from that was this recognising a frustration that I didn't talk about my loss and. Within the family we didn't talk about him, we didn't celebrate him and that felt like a real dishonour to his memory. We didn't have an annual event to talk about him and I, yeah, that made me quite angry and I thought this isn't actually that uncommon. A lot of people feel like they can't talk about grief because it's sad and it is such a visceral feeling when something is cut out of you and you can't it's so difficult to articulate how you feel about it I started trying to create work that was related to it which was this project which was trying to create different activities inspired by death rituals from around the world and it led to two other things which really helped me articulate my grief and turn it around And one of them was an event for the 10th anniversary of his death where I decided to try and get together as many people as I could who knew him. First it started off as this sort of like I was inspired by people like Jeremy Della who do these parades and processions to sort of commemorate something and there's like a flag for this person a flag for that person I was thinking about all these grand things that we could do to celebrate Dad and then it, I realised all I needed to do was just to recognise that date with people because it was the recognition which had been lacking We ended up getting about 30 of us together in a, in a deli on the road where he grew up in Wales and um, it was really informal. Um, I asked everyone just to tell me a song that they'd like played and so I made a playlist and asked people to think about a story they'd like to tell if they wanted to and some people did and some people on the day just said oh actually I will stand up and tell another story and it was quite funny there was his girlfriend from when he was 14 who was the only ex-girlfriend who stood up and said something and um, she hadn't planned to she said it was going to be too hard but she stood up on the day and she said I feel like I should say something on behalf of the Hugh Mosley ex-girlfriend club that seems to be present here today which included the partner that he was with when he died and my mum and herself and another one from university. And so it was, really, it was a really special event and we were able to laugh like that. I think it made a lot of people feel good just to, just to recognise him because that hadn't really happened before. And so that felt like a huge exorcism of this sort of guilt that had been festering about not celebrating him. But what had happened a few days before that was um, the actual date of his death, the anniversary of his death, and the 22nd of October. One thing that got me down that day was that I checked my phone at the end, it was about five o'clock, and and I only had one or two messages from people, and one was from my boss, because I'd taken the day off, and she just said, thinking about you, and I I can't remember who the other one was from, and I was a bit disappointed, and I thought, like, today was a really big day, and no one has really said anything, not even my closest friends. I remembered, well, I haven't really told them, it's today. They know it's this week, but not only have I not said, FYI, guys, it's Thursday, but I haven't really given them permission to do that because for so long, I've been so cagey about this. So I ended up blaming myself and then just feeling worse trying to go to sleep that evening and uh, tossing and turning and deciding to just write something in my diary just to kind of articulate this feeling and just get it out of my head so I could try and sleep. As I was writing, I noticed that there was a bit of a theme popping up in this story I was trying to tell and um, and I also felt really, con- I felt quite conflicted because I felt like Why am I just writing this in my diary to keep to myself when the whole problem here is that I I don't feel like I can talk to people about it and now I feel resentful because no one's talking to me about it. So I should be talking to people about this. (laughs) So I ended up deciding to post something on Facebook about these feelings. Not only to give people a nudge to say I'm hurting, I could do with your support, but also because I would hate that if anyone else was ever going through that feeling, that they would just repress it and suffer. I've got friends who've taken their lives because they haven't felt like they can talk about the feelings that have been festering, and i I just hate I'd hate to think that a human being would have to suffer like that without without feeling like they deserve recognition from people to talk about it. So this is what I posted. Um, It says, Here's a conundrum. I strive to live every day to the fullest, and yet I actually spend time worrying what other people think about me. To my shame, my default expectation has been that people think I'm an idiot until I prove otherwise. What a waste of energy. Despite this, at risk of looking like an idiot, in the hope that one day we humans will all worry less about looking like idiots when expressing ourselves, I'm going to talk about my day. Yesterday was the 10th anniversary of my dad's accidental death. The night before last, I made my way home around dusk, and the air felt unusually still. I paused. 10 years ago tonight, everything was still fine. My pulse quickened as I realised the neatness of this chunk of time so neat that it could almost be hidden from the timeline of my life using a tactical fold. If I acted quick enough, I could seize the stillness, close my palms along the crease, place one hand holding tonight upon the hand holding 2005 and I could be back on the phone with him again. The last time I spoke to my dad it was late on a Friday and he was probably lying on his back under his desk trying to fix the computers which had gone down earlier that evening. He told me he felt bad. He'd been working late a lot recently and it wasn't fair on his girlfriend. Fears of dad becoming single and dependent on me in later years drifted into my mind. Go home, get some flowers, just be good and go back, dad. You're very sweet. Okay, look, I'd better go. I love you. I love you too. Bye. My last dream of my dad was a vision of me in my current flat walking from room to room, in a brain fog of morning, I suddenly realised I still remember his phone number. Thank God it's okay, I can just call him. Oh seven eight one three eight eight five one six one, or oh seven eight three one eight eight five one six one. I tried the first choice and it rang. He picked up. Hello? Dad, how are you? Well... My mum then bursts through my front door with a sheepskin rug, about ten times her size, and tells me she needs somewhere to store it immediately. Ah, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'll call you back in five minutes, I promise. Please wait. The folds in time had overlapped, but again, he was beyond my reach. Usually, the day I dread most is actually the 23rd of October, the day afterwards, when everything is supposed to be back to normal. The big day is over. I can't use that excuse anymore. How wrong? But as I talk and type, I take ownership over my feelings and fragments of my uncontrollable past. And today, something different from grief overwhelms me. And it's gratitude for having had him and for having people who care enough to listen to me talk about him. Which, although it's not as much as I'd like, is the best possible thing I could have. I posted this on Facebook and it was two in the morning and what had propelled me to do that was that feeling that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and it's going to be the 23rd of October and yesterday I got two text messages and then tomorrow I'm going to have to start this cycle all over again but it's going to be worse because it's going to be the 11th year and you can't make a fuss about the 11th year. And the thought of waking up to that was too much to bear. I fell asleep, and I woke up about five hours later, kind of in a panic, realizing what I'd done, and quickly went to my laptop and like reread it at least and see kind of how how much of an outpour of emotion I just posted on the internet. And. Already I'd received dozens of messages from people. I'd gotten comments and private messages, text messages from friends, things from people I'd only met once saying what I've just read has meant that one less person is going to feel stupid about expressing themselves and you should feel good about yourself for that. And that had already happened. And I was like, oh, I can't can't take this down now. (laughs) Um, I don't use Facebook very often, and especially not for things like that. And it felt like I was really putting myself out there and opening myself up to mockery from people, which, um, as I'd already said, is something that I kind of feel like people do. That just wasn't true. I realised that just by, just by writing that, it gave people permission to give me so much love. And even still, I saw a friend at the weekend and she talked about it with me. And this was two months ago now. It's, it's opened up conversations with people I haven't spoken to in years and touched people that I hadn't expected it would touch at all that and the event that I organised have actually turned my grief around and like I say I feel like it's turned into gratitude, what it's made me realise is how it sounds like such a cliche to say how lucky I am but the relationships that I've made with people and the openness I've received from people who've been willing to listen it's meant so much and it's that feeling of that feeling of gratitude totally overrides the grief now. The grief is almost not there. It's very strange. It's really strange um, yeah.